Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. time. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta, which offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. You can learn more right now at parkpower.ca. Disclaimer, if you hear the sounds of baby and or baby toys, it's because there is a baby next to me enjoying her baby toys. I mean, I think at this juncture we can just say that that is a standard disclaimer across (laughs) all of our episodes. See, the toddler, he's able to go down at a reasonable hour. We can put him to bed. Yes, and he goes to sleep. He will go to bed. Uh, The baby, not so much. (laughs) It's just kind of a crapshoot when she goes down and... Lately, exclusively on our recording days during the week, she decides to stay up late. It is baby party time. Yeah. Uh, All other days, she's usually knocked out by her evening bottle, but just not on specifically the days that we want to record. (laughs) It's like she knows. She, I'm sure she does. Like, this is clearly a formulated plan. (laughs) It's very deliberate. Uh, But we have found at least that uh, for the most part... Uh, we can keep her kind of occupied in the background. So, as usual, hopefully, not too much baby noise going on in the ambience of our episode. So, with that said, and uh, with that kind of standing in for, I think, just a standard disclaimer moving forward for the next little while, <laughs> true. Um, we can do a quick recap of Chapter 18 of our novel, in which we had just a few pages of emails sent back and forth between Beth and Dom after Beth decides to spend her money on an impromptu investigatory trip to Florida to uh, follow up on some leads. Leads in air quotes. We learned that they had a bit of a fight before she left. Yep. But uh, Dom kind of smooths things over. They did indeed make up. In the email. Yep. And uh, Beth boards her delayed flight and flies directly into Chapter 19 of Perfect Little Children by Sophie Hanna. So Beth arrives at the Delray Beach Marriott Hotel, a little after 8 o'clock Florida time, super jet-lagged. Oh, yes, because it is, what, after 1 in the morning, her time? Yeah, we've already brought up the time difference between Florida and the UK in this novel. And now it's smacking Beth right in the face. (laughs) Sure is. Yeah. She, like, (laughs) it's that image you see in movies and cartoons all the time of just the bedraggled traveler who gets to their room and just collapses, right? Just falls onto the bed unconscious. Yeah. And that's that's what happens to Beth. That's basically what she does. Before she actually gets up to her room, she describes the Marriott lobby. And 
because of the world we currently live in, my first thought was, oh, that is a COVID nightmare. <laughs> yes, but this was written before the times of COVID. It's true. This is definitely now a period piece, <laughs> a pre-COVID period piece. But it's just, it's telling of the year we're living in that that was one of the first things that jumped out at me. Yep. It was just like, oh, that is not sanitary. And those people could all get sick. Oh, yes. Guaranteed. But as you say, Beth does head up to her room. She promptly collapses and spends seven hours in deep unconsciousness uh, and wakes up at 4 a.m. local time. Yep. Feeling refreshed, having finally had a full night's sleep. Well, or at as least, close to a full night's yeah. sleep as Beth is going to get. Yeah. Uh, and, and now we know for sure that she has had at least one decent night's sleep yes. in this novel. So Her body forced it on her. Yeah. Beth decides, like, there's nothing she's going to be able to do at 4 o'clock in the morning, Florida time. True. Uh, she doesn't know where Lewis actually lives because that's private information. She does have his business address, but obviously it's not going to be open at four in the morning. Goodness, no. She doesn't want to just camp out there all morning, suspicious-like. So she decides to pass a little bit of time by having a bath and getting some food. Uh, the problem is that at 4 a.m., there's not a lot of breakfast available. No, she uh, orders herself a breakfast pizza. Yeah, you know, as you do <laughs> when you're on vacation she's not on vacation no well she's definitely not on vacation she actually thinks to herself a couple times this is not a vacation no therefore breakfast pizza is a necessity well <laughs> she needs food it's true she's and hungry it's what she can get because she she realizes i'm not going to be able to hold off an hour and a half i'm very hungry and she probably hasn't eaten since the plane oh probably not so if she even ate on the plane if she even ate on the plane as she has her breakfast pizza, she actually contemplates on when Lewis might turn up at the office. Like, what would opening time be there? And then it dawns on her because she didn't inform him or Flora of her surprise visit, having intended to surprise them. <laughs> Thus making it a surprise. Indeed. He might not even be around. Like, he's a fancy jet-setting businessman. He yeah. might be off to a meeting in Japan today. Mm -hmm. He might not be in the office at all. Indeed. And... Gives her a brief moment of concern that she might have just engaged on a useless, expensive, impromptu trip. Now it dawns on her that this might be useless and expensive. She pulls herself back from the brink and yes. realizes, no, you know what? Th this is not the end of the world. If Lewis is not around, that might actually free me up to be able to investigate him in another way. Like I might be able to inquire with his employees. I might be able to get out of them a home address. Like it's not the end of the world if he's not there. <laughs> the investigating can still be done. Yeah. She actually has to stop herself short a little bit because she, her train of thought takes her to the point where she's starting to plan around him not being there. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, no, let's not, let's not get carried away. Beth has to do that a lot. Have you noticed? Pull herself out of the rabbit holes? Yeah. Well, when she realizes she's going down a rabbit hole, far yeah. too often she just plunges straight down. It's true. She and doesn't, doesn't realize. And doesn't realize she's in Wonderland until she arrives. <laughs> this is also the first time it dawns on Beth something we've actually speculated on for weeks, that Lewis and Flora might both be in England and that the Florida number may have been spoofed. This is this is a theory that we had hit upon oh. weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Episodes ago, I'm sure. Yeah. Though... She does point out something that we hadn't really considered, which is that would mean that the OG Thomas and Emily would have to be in Florida by themselves if both their parents were away. Which seems a little weird. They are both teenagers. Yeah, but so And still. Of, of an age where they could look after themselves, certainly for... A week. Yeah, several days at a time. Yeah. 
this is also under the assumption that the OG Thomas and Emily are for real. Well, because we have we have seen pictures of them, we have not seen them. No, it's true. But Though again, pictures kind of count, and they must exist. Yeah, because the impossible Thomas and Emily are children, and children do grow up. But who also exist? Well, we know for sure they exist. Well, we, we presume that the OG Thomas and Emily exist. Yes, it's all very confusing. All right, enough rabbit holes. On with the plot. Beth over her breakfast pizza also. Starts to wonder if maybe this is going to be the first time that she gets to see Lewis Braid's rage directed at her. Possibly. Because she's seen him turn on a dime on other people. Mm-hmm. Like, she's, we've heard the hotel lobby story. Yeah, we, he, she recounts in her memory the time he blew up on a, a table of, of ladies in a restaurant. Yeah. Despite that, she's never been the brunt of it because she's a friend of Lewis's. Yeah, she's so. always been on his side. Yeah, as and it were. and so she actually has a moment where she's like, "Is this the time that that it's going to be directed at me?" Because she's considering crossing him. Yeah, but there was something interesting about the way that this kind of came out to me, and that is the fact that she she kind of lights on the idea that Lewis may have been upset with the noisy table. But he was also kind of putting on a show because he didn't just want to drive off the ladies or shush them up. He wanted to impress everyone around him, everyone else. He wanted to impress Flora and Beth. He was he wanted to be the hero of the restaurant. Yeah, he he has a mean sense of humor, but his motivation in that moment was not pure malice. No, it was as much. I'm annoyed at these people and I want them to go away as it was. Watch me be the big hero by making them go away. Yes. And and watch me put a smile on everyone's face by being mean to them. He has, he's got a cruel sense of humor. Yeah. But it wasn't motivated by pure malice. No. But malice is how he, he was going to get where he was going. And he failed utterly. Yeah. It went over like a lead balloon in that moment. Oh, yeah. It just, it strikes me as inconsistent with the idea that he's just a sociopath, which is kind of where Beth is dipping her toes in that water right here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't nod any louder. Like, yes. Yeah. She also kind of calls what he does the Lewis Braid show. (laughs) Well, that's what it is, right? Because he's performing. Yeah. He wants everyone else to think well of him. So no matter what he does... He's doing it to give you a good impression. Yeah. She wonders if maybe she's going to see it again today if she meets with him, even if she's meeting with him alone, and decides, oh, yeah, absolutely he will. Like, an audience of one is still an audience. Mm -hmm. She's still someone to impress. Yeah. And she actually correctly, might I add, spoiler alert, Mm. expects that his opening play will be to lavish her with hospitality. Makes sense. She is curious if, when she presses him, if that friendly facade will kind of slip. It might. We don't know. We don't know. We haven't made it that far yet. Yeah. Not really. This uh, segues us to a few hours later, and Beth is in a cab outside of Versanova. Which is Lewis's company. Yeah. The jet lag has caught back up with her again, probably because she's been waiting in a cab for like a half hour as Possibly. well. And she's finding herself tired again. Her cab driver is dozing off. <laughs> well... Sitting in a cab, not talking to anyone is not super exciting. Yeah. But she is keeping herself awake because she does not want to miss seeing Lewis arrive. She also is just kind of marveling over the quality of the parking lot. <laughs> that his building is so fancy that it has a fancy parking lot. Well, it's not just that. That's This actually strikes me as a little bit of culture shock. 
That's true. Actually. Through the eyes, through the eyes of Beth. She's in Florida, and things are a little different. Yeah, in the UK, the cities there are very old. And I'm, I, if you're listening to this in Britain, you don't need me to tell you this. But for any of our other <laughs> listeners, the cities there are very old, and they aren't built by what we in North America would consider um, a recognizable civic plan. And so a lot of them are actually quite cramped for space. And you don't see these huge sprawling parking lots and these giant big box stores as much well, in the UK. When your city was founded before the automobile <laughs> when your city, about. When your city was built by Romans. <laughs> right. And not all cities are. And lots of cities have adapted no. to cars. Yes. But there are plenty of neighborhoods in like really old cities, London, Paris, etc., that weren't built around vehicles. Also, over in Europe, the cars are much smaller. Also true. Right? Scooters are really popular, tiny cars, tiny trucks. In North America, urban sprawl is is the norm cuz most of the time we got nothing but space. It's also true. Right? Big cars, big buildings, big roads. We live in Edmonton and it's actually a huge sprawling city with a population a fraction of that of other major cities. Uh because we don't have a lot of urban density. We've just sprawled outward. Nothing but space up here. Um, and Beth doesn't even come from the city. She's from a village where probably, yeah, they don't have a lot of giant parking lots outside of big office buildings. Yeah, why would they? But here in North America, now that she's in the U.S., she's in a place where, yeah, even like a medium-sized office building might have a giant sprawling parking lot. So, yeah, it... Uh, I thought it was worth mentioning because that struck me as as a bit of culture shock through her eyes. That she's marveling. It seems so mundane. She's marveling over the parking lot. But for from her perspective, yeah, the parking lot probably seems... Uh, Unnecessarily huge. And elaborate, yeah. yeah. Speaking of elaborate, Beth finally spots Lewis pull up in a shiny convertible. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. So confirmed, at least, Lewis is in Florida, at least right now. Yep. So that is one of our theories, at and, least partially crossed out. <laughs> and lucky, question mark, for yeah, Beth, maybe. that Lewis is coming to the office today. Yeah. She jumps out of the cab, asking her driver to wait for her, and follows him up to the door, because it dawns on her that it might be harder to see Lewis if she has to go through security and reception, et cetera, et cetera. It might be easier to just catch him before he gets into the office. So her opening gambit here is to just kind of like run up after him and be like, Hey, Lewis! Kind of out of the blue. <laughs> but it it's a guaranteed face-to-face with Lewis right yeah, off the go. Yeah, absolutely. Right Catch off the him go. before he goes behind secure doors. But her plan doesn't go off as expected because Lewis stops short just before he enters the building and answers his phone. And Beth decides rather than try to attract notice, maybe she might be able to overhear something. So she kind of creeps closer and then ducks between some cars to to eavesdrop. Looking totally non-suspicious. Well, she's not noticed, so yes. Mm. She successfully does not look suspicious. Uh, Lewis has a very brusque call with whoever he's on the line with. He mentions daily responses and someone being 10 minutes late, which Beth wonders about because it sounds very officious to her. And she wonders if maybe he's just like, rudely dressing down some employee or something. It's kind of what it sounds like. He yeah. turned on the boss mean yeah. style of mean, right? When the conversation kind of wraps up, Beth decides it will be really suspicious if she just pops up from between some cars after he hangs right? up the phone. Pop, hi! 
So she kind of waits a couple minutes and then like peeks up and Lewis has gone in. Well, why would he be standing around? Yeah. So plan A, catch him before he gets into the office, has failed. But <laughs> this does not deter her and she heads into the office to see if she can arrange a meeting with yes. him. Yes. The receptionists are all a little creepy with their big phony smiles and their like words of affirmation on their name badges. That wasn't creepy so much as it was just weird. Like, one of them I had to read several times because the sentence didn't make sense to me the first time. I've looked it up. The one I had to read more than once was, I make sure to want from a feeling of abundance. And it threw me for a bit. Because I think what they're trying to say is, I make sure to want from a feeling of abundance. Yeah. Make, like, don't get complacent. I well, think is what that means. Um, it's It's definitely kind of vague. And I think that that's intentional so that it can be taken... However, the the reader wants to take it in whatever way it kind of affirms to them. Oh, it's a, it's a little frou-frou. It means what you need it to mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it actually makes Beth think back to Lewis mentioning his uh, favorite life coach in her conversation with him on the phone earlier in the book. And it kind of strikes her. He didn't really used to have much time for New Age nonsense. So this is definitely something new that he's picked up since coming to Florida, assuming that he buys it at all. And he's not just putting on the Lewis Braid show. Oh, maybe. Wayna Skinner, the receptionist that she's talking to, tells her she cannot see Dr. Braid without an appointment. Uh, but Beth says, well, look, I'm an old friend. I've come here from England, kind of unannounced, but... I clearly have an accent. I'm sure he will make an exception for me. And Wayna's like, okay, that sounds legit. And she calls up to Lewis's assistant, Martha. And after a moment, Beth gets the green light to go in. Beth getting into the building at this point, to me, struck me as a little bit uh, too, I've been expecting you, Mr. Bond. Like, it it seemed really easy. Like, she yeah. just phoned up and be like, hi, there's an old friend here. Yeah, your name checks out. Let's take your picture and get you a pass and get you inside. Nothing nefarious here. Well, just, yeah. It seemed a little too easy for a company that has three receptionists and requires a photo ID and an appointment for her to name drop Lewis's name and her name, and then that's it. Well, I mean, her name was called up to Lewis. And again, Lewis is Mr. Geniality. Yeah. If Beth drops in from England unexpected, Lewis is going to make time for her today. Beth was counting on it, and Lewis did exactly what she was counting on. Well, no, mostly I'm surprised that her name got to Lewis so easily. That she didn't have to go through a receptionist, then a secretary, oh. and a security guard, and, well, and, and. she did have to go through a receptionist and a secretary, but it just but, happened very quickly. Yeah, but it went so smoothly. I, I think I was just expecting her to encounter more obstacles, I guess. Do you think that she got in too easy, and it's making you suspicious? Yeah, everything makes me suspicious at this point. I have no idea. Fair What's enough. going on? Well, she doesn't even have to deal with Lewis's assistant because when Beth makes it up to five, Lewis greets her personally at the elevator. Just all hugs and happy surprise. Oh, so happy to see her. Freakishly happy to see her. He asks if Dom is there. He asks if the kids are there. She's like, no, I didn't bring the family. And he's like, I told you to bring the family. And she says, I'm not here on vacation. I've actually come to get some answers. And Lewis is... Really super genial about it, actually. And this is where the conversation gets very strange to me. Because who talks the way these people talk? Lewis talks the way these people talk. 
And, Look, and she, Beth... she has come for some true answers, and he's like, well, ask me some true questions. And I'm like, nobody talks that way. This is weird. But Lewis does talk that way from everything that we've learned about him up until this point. Lewis is the guy, again, with the kind of boorish sense of humor. So, of course, he immediately makes a comment about them, like, playing a lewd truth or dare game and having some shots together at yeah. 10 o'clock in the morning or Oof. actually earlier than that. Sorry, like eight o'clock in the morning. And Beth is like, ha ha ha. Yeah, of course. Oh, Lewis, you. But that, I mean, that's totally in keeping with Lewis's character, actually. Yeah. Which is why it's so weird. Beth does wonder if he was prepared for her to come to Florida to investigate what's happening. Like it does cross her mind. And it also crosses her mind. Like, is this, is this the Lewis Braid show? Is he counting on his charm to disarm me as a threat? Maybe. Or Beth's just being super paranoid. I mean, you just admitted that you were being super paranoid. You're not even in the book. I know. She decides she's going to counter the Lewis Braid show the only way she can think of, and that is to put on the Beth Larson show. And play the game better than Lewis. Try to, at the very least. She's going to try to keep him off his guard this way. She'll show him what he wants to see. She'll say the things that he wants to hear, and in doing so, kind of be more in control of the conversation, is her thinking. Mm -hmm. Unlike every other interaction she's ever had with him. Might exactly. Um, but she does try to social chameleon him here, and Lewis is one of those people where if you're in his confidence and you're in his presence, you just kind of act like Lewis, because it's the easy thing to do. One of those infectious personalities that sort of turns you into what you should be. Uh, as mentioned, Lewis does joke about playing their game of swapping sordid secrets or having to take a shot. And Beth kind of playfully agrees maybe they should do that over over a cup of mint tea. And Lewis gets kind of serious for a moment. And he's like, you know, Beth, you don't strike me as the kind of person who has any sordid secrets. Beth is like, I do have secrets, though, even if they're not sorted. Doesn't everyone have secrets? And Lewis, this prompts kind of an interesting comment from Lewis, where he's just like, man, it would be a really boring person who doesn't have a juicy secret they can only share with their most trusted friends. I read that, and the note I made for myself was, I can't wait to see what Beth decides that means later. Because it is very much Beth's M.O., to go back and reevaluate something that someone has said, how they said it, when they said it, what context they were using, and decide that it means something else than what she originally heard. Well, here's how I took it, which is that Lewis is kind of half confessing to her here. You think so? He absolutely has a secret, and he's kind of teasing her with it in this moment. He's dangling it in front of her face. Ah, but is it what she actually wants to know? It might not be what she actually wants to know. He, the secret that he's that he's almost telling her, that he's kind of just about, like, it's, oh, it's right there. Hey, Beth, I have something. Wouldn't you like to know it? It might not be what she thinks it is or what she wants it to be. Who knows? But there is something there. And Beth is canny enough to realize that this is not the moment to push for it. <laughs> She's being baited. Don't fall for it. Basically, yeah. So she instead kind of pivots and is like, oh, well, am I not a trusted friend, Lewis? And Lewis is like, you know, I'm not so sure you are. <laughs> 
you and Dom drifted out of my life in a really weird way, and I never got a satisfactory answer as to why. Uh, he actually mentions Flora had told him the story of the cut-up photo, but he didn't believe it. Yeah, he's like, that's ridiculous. Because it sounded like nonsense. And Beth confirms, actually, that did That is true. That I, I cut up your picture. Um, which is just kind of, in a way, funny, because Beth has had so much trepidation over this cut-up picture that she refused to even think about it for chapters of this novel and had this heartfelt confession about it to Dom and Lewis laughs it off in this moment. Yeah, it's not shocking. It's it's funny. Yeah. He's utterly bemused. He's weirdly delighted by it. It's like, oh, that was real. That's awesome. <laughs> what? Um, But Beth does say, you know, I'm not so sure that that is the reason why we drifted apart, though. And maybe that's something we should be talking about. The chapter ends with Lewis saying, you know what? Why don't you come into my office? We'll chat about whatever in private. I don't have a lot of time today, but I do want you all to myself while we do have some time. And I think we're going to have fun today. Okay, so if Sophie Hanna had intended to give me the heebie-jeebies with the end of this chapter, she absolutely succeeded. We're going to have fun today. I want Crazy emphasis on the word fun. What does that even mean? Does it mean something? Is it nothing? I don't know. I've got the creeps. Also, right after he says, I want you all to myself. Right? Yeah. That's where it started. I was like, oh, I don't like it. Uh, but we will have to wait until next chapter to find out yes, what we that will. might be. Pretty meaty chapter, if I uh, say so myself. Yeah, not too bad. Lewis seems to be his usual disarming self. He doesn't look like he's on guard, but he is a master dissembler, so it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it... It struck me like he has something he wants to tell Beth. He's He was baiting her there. But Beth was smart enough not to take the bait in that moment. And that might give him the confidence to confess something to her later on. But again, what would that confession be? Oh. Hard to say. I also want to take a brief moment to go all the way back to the beginning. Yes, you did a little bit of research here. Yeah. Yes. There is a conversation that Lewis has early in the chapter, which is weird and at odds with his demeanor through the rest of the the chapter when we finally see him. Yes. And I put a little something together that Nita and I are going to read now. Ah, yes. We have performance to do. Yeah. So I'm going to read the part of Lewis Braid, and Anita's going to read another part, and then I'll explain it in a moment. Are you ready for daily responses? Said I'm ready now. You can start. What? Yes. Start. Ten minutes late, yes? Where are you? Home. I'm at home. And where should you be? Peterborough. And what are you? Lucky. Very lucky. Good. I'll see you later. Yes. Tomorrow. I'll speak to you tomorrow. And scene. Lines up pretty good, doesn't it? It kind of does. Yeah. That is Lewis's conversation that Beth overheard with Flora's conversation that Beth overheard from chapter one of this novel. Right. So now we're in Wibbly Wobbly Timeline. Because that was, what, a week ago now? More? More. Where she heard Flora have that conversation? Yeah. But again, daily responses. And then, what, two days later when she overheard Flora saying the words lucky again behind Lewis on the phone? Yep. But again, daily responses. Underscore daily. It doesn't need to be timey-wimey or wibbly-wobbly because this is a conversation they are having every day. Why? Good question. But we now have heard the other half of the phone call that Flora... I'm I'm guaranteed we've heard the other half of the phone call that Flora 
You think? Was having at the beginning of the novel. The only thing that can't be accounted for in Lewis's half of this conversation is when Flora says, hey, chimp, hey, chimpy, from that initial conversation. Right. But everything else. I was going to ask else, about that. Where's the chimpy part come in? But everything else lines up. Huh. And I mean, this is this is very much speculation. <laughs> everything I, we do is speculation I, around here. I fit it together based on how how what Lewis was asking and what Flora was saying would line up. And again, the only thing that doesn't match is the chimpy part. But everything else lines up. Hmm. So I'm positive that that is the other half of that conversation that we overheard at the beginning of the book. Okay. Okay. Or so, at least or at least most of it. Right. So the conversations line up. What is what does any of that mean? That tells us nothing. It just makes things more confusing. Just that they have a daily conversation that yeah. is exactly the same or mostly the same. Yeah, but to what end? Who knows? Dear Sophie Hannah, I desperately need some answers from you. I please, do. Please have them. Please have them in the book by the end. Thank you. I do think we're on the cusp of having some of those answers. I feel like now that we're in the presence of Lewis and with Lewis kind of just bursting to tell Beth something, it seems <laughs> that we're going to finally maybe get the other shoe drop that we've been waiting for for a while now. Uh, any shoe drop would be nice at this point. And that uh, we're going to start. We're going to start seeing the picture. Mm hmm. That will allow us to finally put our puzzle together. I've been wandering around inside this book, frustratingly lost. It's almost to the point of annoyance. Almost to the point of annoyance with this book. It's, I... Sometimes it's so frustrating that we get bits and pieces of stuff, but it, none of it makes sense. So I'm just wandering around in a fog. I actually remember early on in the book, and I think it was in context to Beth continuously teasing us with what the incident that it turned out to be them cutting or her cutting up the photo. Yeah. Um, and I, I seem to recall mentioning at that time that I was a little frustrated with it because it felt like we were being teased with it, but it was never going anywhere. And now you're feeling kind of the same about I, the rest of the plot. I really am. Cause we get, we get all these little bits and pieces and they're written in such a way where it feels like, oh, this means something. Oh, this means something. But none of it makes any sense. You feel like we're being strung along. Kind of. Yeah. In a way that's more frustrating than enticing. Yes. That is a very good way of putting it. Thank you. Because, I mean, we were being strung along in The Word It's Murder. Yeah. Which is a mystery novel. And I don't mind being strung along in a mystery because that's how it's supposed to work. But, like you said, I would prefer it to be enticing rather than confusing and frustrating and annoying. I mean, The Word is Murder was structured in such a way that it always felt like we were getting something. Even if we didn't know what, it always felt like we were getting something. And... I can kind of see where you're coming from. There have been patches in this book where it feels like there's been some just dead space. Right. And it's been like I famously hated the chapter with Xana's school because it didn't seem like anything was happening. It seemed like a total a total side quest that had nothing to do with the plot. And spoiler alert, so far it seems like it was a total side quest that had nothing to do with the plot. Uh, so far, but who knows? Who knows? We had a whole deep description about Thomas's shoes and well, what, what does that mean? But so far, nothing. But it established that he was wearing twelve-year-old shoes. Again, to what end? So, see, I'm getting frustrated. Like I feel like it should mean something, but I don't know what it means. They have a weird phone call, and she's now heard both sides of it. Well, what does it mean? Well, hopefully, we'll find out in chapter twenty. Oh, I desperately hope we find out in chapter twenty. Well, as we wait to see if we find out something in chapter twenty, now is perhaps a good time to take a brief moment talk about at least one of the other shows on the <laughs> Alberta Podcast Network 
You may have noticed that there's been some rebranding on the Alberta Podcast Network. Indeed. And while this is very much a good thing, um, it does mean that where we would normally drop uh, an ad spot here for one of our sibling podcasts on the network, um, most of them haven't updated their spots to the new branding yet. Right. So we can't run an old ad for a new brand. Indeed. And unfortunately, one of the very culprits of that is my other podcast. I have some notes. Okay, but it's not your fault. I'm going to blame Greg. I blame Greg for everything. Love you, Greg. I have some notes is indeed uh, another opportunity for you to listen to my voice, except instead about talking about books, I talk about movies. And instead of talking about things with his wife, talks about them with his friends. Yeah, it's uh, myself and Greg Beaver and Liam Kreswick. And every couple weeks, we uh, watch a different movie, uh, and you are invited to watch along with us on Discord. And uh, we crack jokes and wise about it while we're watching it, and then the next day we sit down and we try to fix it. Yep, they pick mediocre to bad movies and then do a little armchair criticism. I mean, we've been <laughs> challenged with some good movies in the past and been asked to try to punch them up. And it's, it's like, true. how do you punch up Interstellar? Not easily. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but we, we always give it a good try and see what we can do with the benefit of hindsight if three boobs from Edmonton can do better than professional Hollywood screenwriters. And uh, we leave it up to you to decide whether or not we did any good or not. So, <laughs> Three dudes with microphones changing the world. Yeah. Uh, you can check us out uh, online at I Have Some Notes on Twitter. Uh, a new podcast episodes come out every two weeks. And, of course, you can check us out on the Alberta Podcast Network website where all of the podcasts are generously hosted. Us, them. Everyone else. Everyone else. Uh, and that is albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can also find us on your podcatcher of choice. Absolutely. You can also find us out there on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We're at The Read Along on most of those. Yeah, if that's not enough characters for you, you can send us an email. Yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we'll see you next time. Florida Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.